And, like, let me tell you, my family throws the best parties. Like, my family throws, like, the Von Trapp-style happy birthday song. My aunt does, like, these Gregorious hand movements as we sing happy birthday. And, and like, my cousins do a pumpkin carving contest every year for Halloween where uh, we do some crazy stuff. I painted uh, Mike Wazowski from Monsters, Inc. a couple years ago. Got third place. So dumb. Uh, a pumpkin that was pooping pumpkin pies won. I don't think it was fair. I think it was rigged. Um, but yeah, but yeah, my family does crazy, awesome stuff like that. And like, not only is it a tradition for our family, but it's a tradition for other families. Like every year when I'm there, they're like, they're like, oh my goodness, like my kids were just like raving about having to go to the house and vote, you know, for the best pumpkin in the neighborhood. And and so it's just cool that my family does stuff like that. And even for Christmas, um, you know, instead of doing a gift exchange every year, we give. Uh, we all put in money that we would have spent on each other, and we give to a nonprofit. And so my family, they just hit it out of the park. They're awesome, and they're amazing. So what I thought is, if it's okay with you guys, that I would share you uh, with you a little bit of, of me and my awesome party level as, you know, an individual. Um, if we could show the first one. Yeah, what up? All right, so I'm the, I'm the, I'm the stud in the upper right there. Uh, that's my... That's my first birthday party, which is funny. It was a surprise birthday party. Like, I even knew what day it was, you know, right? And uh, the other three pictures are my third, my fourth, and my fifth birthday cakes. My mom handmade all of those because she's a baller. And, like, let me tell you, the third and the fifth birthday, the Ninja Turtles and the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers one, like, she looked at action figures that I had and, like, went off of looking at, action figures like it's not like she had a picture to go off of or like i don't know it just blew my mind that like oh like i remember that ninja turtle picture that or that uh ninja turtle action figure like it was a football player ninja turtle which is why he's wearing football pads if you were wondering why he was wearing football pads or what that was he was wearing anyways yeah so next picture all right so this is me on my eighth birthday august 26 1997 and First of all, I want you guys to notice that I'm wearing a Star Wars shirt because I am awesome, right? Okay, so also, also, okay, so another question. What movie is this shirt referencing? Does anyone know? Also Star Wars, yes! Okay, so I love Star Wars, and Star Wars is amazing. This is the Rebel Alliance symbol for all of you who don't know. All right, and also... Um, I mean, besides my sister in the corner that you can barely see. Also, like, look at the fish tank. What's what's up with us? Oh my goodness. I, I forgot, like, like it's like green and disgusting and like not even full. Like there's definitely nothing living in there. But then but then, okay, so look at this karaoke machine. That's the box I'm holding. Like, how cool is it that I get a karaoke machine for my eighth birthday? And like now what do I do every week? I sing every week. And I just thought it was awesome that like I don't know, just it's how, how cool is it that what you invest in your kids now, how it will, you know, reap in the future. And I just thought that was cool. And the tape I got to go with that karaoke machine was the monkey's greatest hits. So now I'm a believer. Amen. All right, next slide. If you don't get that joke, you might be too young or not as nerdy as me. This is me on my 14th birthday, I think. I think this was eighth grade. And I was, yeah, I was a little punk there. So I, uh, I had frosted tips because that was cool then. I don't know why. Um, and, yeah, I was wearing a Linkin Park shirt, which is an alternative rock band. 
because I was cool like that. And everyone liked Linkin Park in 2003. Um, but anyways, what I also thought was cool is if you notice the birthday cake there, there's a trumpet and a guitar because I was a band nerd and I played all those instruments. I just think it's cool like how all these things from my childhood, like I never thought I would be like doing music and stuff with my life. So it's just cool to like look and how these were ingrained all in my life um, growing up. All right, and the, I saved the best picture for last. Um, okay, so I'm the kid with the bad haircut and the muscle shirt. And like my favorite part about this picture isn't, it's not, and if you guys aren't looking closely, it's not the Pokeball birthday cake. Um, and I was talking to uh, Pete and Deb. I was over at their place uh, a few days ago. And I was talking to little Petey, and he was watching Pokemon. I'm like, dude, you watch Pokemon? And he was like, yeah. I was like, I loved Pokemon as a kid. It, like, blew his mind that, like, an adult liked Pokemon when they were a kid. Like, in him, it was like, oh, no, this is a my generation thing. I was like, no, I made Pokemon cool. You're crazy. And, but that's not my favorite part. My favorite part isn't the Pokeball cake, also made by my mother. My favorite part. And if you look very closely, look at the kid on the far left and look at the kid uh, in the middle. Um, they're holding their noses. Someone definitely passed gas in this picture. And like someone after after service, someone came up to me. They're like, how do you know that wasn't you? And I'm like, eh, it might have been. I don't know. But, but like look at the faces of the other two guys. Like there's the kid there looking up at the chandelier like, ooh. I don't smell anything. And then there's the kid with, like, the mischievous smile, like, oh, yeah, I got him. So, like, who do you think it is? And, and like, I don't know. I don't, I, it, it'll, like, it'll burn, like, in my mind till the day I die, like, which one of them was it? Because, like, I didn't even notice, like, them in the picture until this week. Like, I've had that picture for years. And, like, finally, I finally looked at it. And I was like, oh, hey, someone broke wind. But anyways, anyways, so I want you guys to imagine something. Imagine that you are a teacher at a school and that there's a father in the school that's wanting to throw a huge party for his son. And, and this party, he wants everyone invited. He wants the whole school to be invited to this party. And, and not only so, but he owns one of the nicest resorts in town. Think of like something like Michigan Adventures, like Times Infinity, like, like Cedar Point on crack. Like that, that is the kind of place that this guy owns and he is wanting the whole school to be invited so you do you th your thing and you invite everyone in you know your classroom as a teacher but then you hear that there are other teachers in the school that are kind of using these invitations to leverage good behavior out of the kids that if kids are misbehaving or if kids are being bad that they're actually withholding these invitations from these kids to the party and that even 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 worse that there are some kids that you know are just the bad kids at school and so they purposefully don't hand them out invitations because they think that these kids, you know, will ruin the party for them or their families would come and ruin it for everyone. And, and so this is the type of experience um, in the passage that we're going over in 1 Timothy chapter 2, um, if you guys would like to turn there. See, there were false teachers that had weaseled their way into Timothy's church, and they were telling uh, the people of the church that not everyone could be saved. They were telling, you know, the people of the church that not everyone could be invited to the party. And, um, and Paul is writing Timothy just about this issue and about a few other things at the church. And see, so up until this point, if, if you guys have been, you know, following along and if you guys have been here for a few weeks, um, Paul has kind of been laying a theological groundwork of what's been going on. He's kind of, you know, he shared a lot about grace. Pastor Ben preached this amazing sermon on grace 
um, a few weeks ago. And, and that's Paul just, you know, establishing, hey, this is what we believe. You know, these are the things we believe. And then, you know, um, even the last passage, you know, it was that, you know, Paul was encouraging Timothy to finally make changes. And then this is Paul. This is Paul saying this is the most important thing that you can change in your church. He said the church has to have a heart for all the people and that everyone needs to be invited to the party. So let's read 1 Timothy 2, uh, 1 through 7. Let's stand and read the word together. It says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying and a true and faithful teacher to the Gentiles. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we just thank you. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. And, and we just thank you for, for the price you paid on the cross. You were a ransom for us all. You are our only mediator between us and God. Um, the only one who can stand in our place. And we just thank you. And I just pray that you would just, you know, be with me and, and be with this sermon and, and have it be your words and just have this text be illuminated to all of us. And um, I also just pray for what happened in Oregon this week with the students that, that got shot, the ones that were killed, and, and, and the ones who were even there. Um, I just pray for peace for the families of the ones who were killed, for those injured who survived. Um, I pray for a quick restoration, a quick healing. And um, I just thank you. Um, I just thank you that there are still people in, in this world and, and still people in our nation who are willing to stand up for you um, and even stand up for love. And, and I just, uh, and we just pray uh, just for that situation, that, that your hand and that, and that you would pull people together in the midst of this tragedy, that you wouldn't continue uh, to divide us. And I just also pray for Pastor Ben and Rick, who are in uh, Illinois, just that your hand of favor would be upon them this week as they present our case to Naps and that you would be with them. And, and again, we just give you all the glory and honor and praise because no one deserves it besides you. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So let's notice, first of all, that Paul starts by saying this word, uh, first of all. And it would be easy for us to kind of read this and think that this is just, you know, uh, the first one of, like, many arguments that Paul is saying. But, you know, I think Paul has a little bit more here to say. If you keep reading in 1 Timothy, you might notice that there's no second of all, there's no third of all. You know, so, so this isn't Paul's first argument. So what Paul is saying here is that this is the most important thing Timothy could change in his church to fix the problems he's having. And if, if he could change one thing only, this is it. So understanding this passage then isn't just um, good for understanding the rest of the letter, but it's important for the whole gospel. And so Paul here, it's more along the lines of if you were thinking, you know, not like, uh, first of all, but like more of like first things first. Like let's get this first and most important thing out of the way first so we can talk about everything else going on. And also at first glance, um, one might think that Paul's focus here is about prayer. I mean, you kind of read and right off the bat, you're like, oh, prayer is for everyone. Okay, cool, that's what it's about. But prayer is merely the context of the situation, and salvation is the content. So if we were at a school where some people weren't invited to a huge party, 
we would be missing the point if we focused on the invitation cards. So we aren't worried about what is on the invitation cards. The cards, like prayer, is merely the vehicles that are carrying what really matters, and that's the invitation itself. But for me, it's still kind of interesting to note that Paul mentions four different types of prayer here. He mentions supplications, and that's where we ask God uh, for something for ourselves. And then there's prayers, which is just general communication between you and God. This is the most common term for prayer used in the Bible. It's used over 100 times uh, in the New Testament. There's intercession, and that's where we are praying to God on behalf of somebody else. And then there's Thanksgiving, where, you know, you're giving thanks to God for something, maybe for something he's doing for you, maybe even for listening for a prayer or just for who he is as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And if you guys came up for prayer uh, this morning, you know, during our service, what you were probably getting prayer for was either a supplication or an intercession. I just thought that was kind of cool that, you know, we were doing prayer this week, and hey, I get to talk a little bit about prayer and give you a little truth nuggets about what prayer is and all that fun stuff. But, um... But if the focus here isn't on prayer, I mean, what is it about? Like I mentioned before, Paul's argument is about how there's a party that's going on for eternity. There's a party going on in heaven. That salvation is open for all, but yet not all people are getting invited to the party. And in the text, Paul uses the word all four times to drive this point home. All is used four times in seven verses because that's how important it is for Paul. And see, Paul wants salvation to be open for everyone regardless of their race, regardless of where their rank is in society or any of that stuff. And that's why Paul mentions two specific people here in the text. And in uh, one of the earlier verses, he mentions kings, that prayers be offered for all kings. And this would mean Caesar. This is just anyone regardless of their socioeconomic situation. This is, you know, the president of the United States, you know, to someone in Muskegon Heights. You know, all people, regardless of what their rank is in society, whether they're on welfare or whether they're the 1%. And then there's Gentiles or unbelievers. And this is, you know, just anyone regardless of their race or their previous religion. You know, someone in the lakeshore of Michigan, someone in Washington, D.C., California, or even Mozambique, Africa. So that Paul is asking the church to pray uh, for kings and to pray for leaders, is, it doesn't hold the same force to us today that it does for them. See, we kind of like hear that. And we're like, oh, yeah, okay, cool, whatever. But like, we get upset at our leaders and the people over us because they might tax us too much. We get upset, you know, sometimes because someone gets voted into office who we don't like. But but back then, like, they didn't get to choose who Caesar was. You know, Caesar was just, Im- he was an emperor. And and not only that, but people saw Caesar as divine. They There was emperor worship was very common. There was an emperor cult in the first century. And, and there were people that were killed because they wouldn't bow to Caesar as Lord and Savior. So this has a different force, and Paul kind of has a twofold, um, a twofold meaning here. And the first one is that no one should be praying to Caesar because he's not Lord, he's not Savior, only Jesus is Lord. Uh, but they should be praying for Caesar because, hey, he still needs prayer, right? And, and that is because, you know, regardless of how evil he is, you know, he still needs to be saved regardless of what's going on, regardless if he's uh, martyring people, regardless of what all is going on. And the emperor at the time is Nero. This is one of the most powerful, wretched emperors. If you look up Nero, like he's the guy that dipped Christians in tar and hung them from the streets and lit them on fire to light up the streets. Like this is a terrible, mean, wicked guy. And Paul says, hey, pray for him as well. So think of, think of asking Jews during the Holocaust to pray for Hitler. And, and think of people in Syria right now People who are being killed and martyred, you know, they're seeing their friends and their family die to pray for ISIS, 
That's the kind of weight. That's the kind of pool that's on here where, where Paul is saying, hey, prayer should be made for all people, even these wicked, these evil people, even the worst person you can imagine. See, Paul wants all people to be given an invitation to the party. In verse 2, Paul expounds on this. He says, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives. See, Timothy's church was either getting in trouble because, um, because they were excluding people and they were getting in trouble with the government, or they were actually getting uh, a bad reputation in the area because they were leaving people out. And, um, and let's get this straight. Paul isn't saying that, you know, we shouldn't be persecuted, or if we do the right thing, that, you know, we will live peaceful and godly lives. I think you guys, I mean, know that there are a lot of people out there that live, you know, well, and, and you know, bad things still come to them. And Paul actually has to expound on what he means in a later letter. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says that those who want to live godly lives actually will be persecuted. So what does Paul mean? I mean, what's happening here is that, um, is that they're getting persecuted, but they're getting persecuted for, for being ungodly, not being godly. They're, ge- they're getting persecuted for doing something wrong. You know, um, they're getting persecuted for excluding people from the church and excluding people from uh, following Jesus. And they're kind of in, in, incriminating themselves. And, uh, and Paul is saying that they, I mean, it's okay for them to get persecuted, but it shouldn't be for doing something wrong. It should be doing, uh, for doing something right. And because of their behavior, They've become a bad witness in the community. Instead of people knowing them for their love and their compassion, people are knowing them only for their exclusion. So let's, let's be clear here. You aren't responsible for getting everyone to the party. That's, that's also, you know, not, not what Paul is saying. You aren't responsible for getting people to heaven. You're merely responsible for making sure that everyone gets an invitation. You know, you're responsible to tell the people the good news of Jesus. That's what Paul is saying here. You know, we might be persecuted. People might turn down the invitation to the party, but that's not our decision to make. You know, we still need to give out the invitations. Everyone still deserves an invitation to the party. Everyone still needs to hear the message of Jesus. And Paul gives Timothy three reasons why everyone should be invited to the party. And the first one is that the Father wants everyone to be at the party. The second is that the only way into the party is through the Son. And three is that it's our job to make sure that everyone gets an invitation. So in verses 3 and 4, it says that it pleases God when we pray for all people because God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. See, some teachers might not want to invite students because their behavior or their grades, and, and some teachers might not want to invite students because, you know, they don't think that they should be at the party. They think that they'll ruin it for everyone, you know. But, but the Father wants everyone to be invited. And who are we to disobey the wishes of the one throwing the party? Who are we to disobey God and not open up salvation to everyone? See, this reminds me of getting invited to birthday parties in kindergarten. Do you guys remember birthday parties in kindergarten? Not like the loud noises and all the snot and all that stuff. But in kindergarten, it wasn't just your friends that got invited to a party, right? Like the whole class got invited. And why did the whole class, like it didn't matter if, you know, uh, there was some kid you liked or some kid that, you know, kicked you in recess. Like, every kid got invited to the party. And why did these kids get invited to, to the party? Because your parents made you invite them. Like, how many of you, you know, you remember being in kindergarten, you remember, you know, your parents forcing you to invite someone that you didn't like? Like, that happened to me. Um, I totally, his name was Chad. Anyways, not holding resentment, his name was Chad. But 
And how many of you as parents, you know, your kids didn't want to invite someone to the party and you forced them to invite someone anyway, right? Like, and that's kind of, um, that's what's going on here. So what do you think the father would say if he knew uh, the people in charge with handing out invitations weren't handing them out to everyone? You know, who are these people to make a decision like that when the father explicitly said that everyone should be invited? Yet how often do we look at someone in the suburbs and look at the good people in the suburbs and think that they're closer to Jesus than someone in the ghetto? You know, Paul is saying here that everyone deserves to hear the message of Jesus Christ. And that we have no right not to tell someone the good news just because we don't think they'll accept it. Or because maybe they've denied it before. They still need to hear the message of Jesus. See, the next point Paul wants Timothy to understand is that the party is only possible because of the Son. The only way people can get to heaven is through Jesus. I mean, imagine that you talk to these teachers who who aren't handing out invitations, and you're like, hey, why aren't you guys doing this? Like, the Father told us to, we're supposed to. Like, how hard is it to give out a piece of paper? And they're like, oh, you know, my sister's cousin's uncle's nephew, you know, he works there. And, you know, he can give me in for free, so why do I need to hand out invitations? Like, I can just get in, it's whatever. But, like, I mean, if this is a nice place, if this is, like, Cedar Point on crack, like, I mean, they're going to have a little bit of security, right? Like, it's not like you can just, like, walk through the front door, you know? So it's probably one of those places with, you know, nice wristbands and fences and, you know. And so if you don't have an invitation to the son's party, you won't get a wristband. And if you don't have a wristband, well, you're, you're probably going to get kindly escorted out. No, you can only get into the party through the sun. And that's what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that if one isn't offered Christian salvation, if one isn't offered salvation through Jesus, there's no other salvation available. There's no other way. They're up the creek without a paddle, and, and they're out of luck. So let's look at 5 and 6. In, in verses 5 and 6, it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. See, this text has some interesting wording because, um, and it makes people think that this was either um, a creed in early Christianhood or that Paul was actually using his own opponent's arguments against them. And if it was a creed back then, um, what it probably was was Paul was using it to strengthen his argument. If it was a commonly accepted creed among Christians, or, you know, if he's using his opponent's uh, words against them, that kind of is like, oh, you know, you're saying this, but I'm saying this. And uh, because of the way this word is phrased, I think that, uh, you know, two things. One is that Paul is probably using his opponent's words against them, and also that his opponents are probably uh, primarily Jewish. So now there were those who went to the church, and they were probably excluding people um, who weren't Jews. Um, or people who weren't converting to Judaism. And this is something that we've seen throughout Scripture in Galatians and other passages. And, and look at the verse, for there is one God. And that's a reference to Deuteronomy 6.4. If you guys know anything about the, the Jewish faith, this is the most popular prayer in the Jewish faith. It's known as the Shema. It, uh, it goes, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And, and what we know from that is, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And um, that, that is from, uh, you know, the Shema, or, or the part of the first commandment is from the Shema. And so th- the Jews were saying that God was their God only, and Paul was saying, well, well, yeah, there's one God, but he's not just God of the Jews, he's the God of everyone. 
But he goes further. He says that there's only one way to this God. And this is why Jesus is called the mediator here. And, and a mediator is someone who is a go-between two parties. You know, they're, they're uh, the communicator between two parties, if you think of uh, the law term. And, and no one else can be a mediator between God, the Father, and mankind besides Jesus. Try as you might to find someone who can plead for you, someone who can pray on your behalf to God. But there's no one. Why? Why is Jesus the only mediator between God and man? It's because Jesus is the only one who is fully God and fully man. You know, there might have been prophets who spoke through God, and there might have been times that God spoke through people, but, um, but Jesus is the only one who can be our go-between. And that's why the text says um, at the end of this that it was through the man, Christ Jesus, that Paul is just further driving this point home. And so, like I said earlier, Paul's wording is weird here. And this is only one of two places that he uses the word mediator uh, in the letters that he's writing in Scripture. And uh, the only other place he uses it is in Galatians 3.19. And he uses it when talking about uh, Moses receiving the law uh, from God. And I don't think this is coincidental. Uh, I think this is one of those areas where Paul is using his opponent's words against them. And I think Paul might be contrasting Christ's work to being the mediator of all people with Moses' uh, work of being the mediator for the Jews only whenever he accepted the law. And so if Paul's opponents were Jewish, this would make perfect sense. You know, you know, this guy might think he can get into the party through his sisters, cousins, uncles, nephew, blah, 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 blah. But the only way to get into the party is through Jesus. And the whole point of this goes back to grace. And uh, like I said earlier, Pastor Ben spoke this amazing sermon on grace. Um, just an incredible sermon. And um, go listen to it if you haven't. But um, what is happening here is that the teachers are putting the Jewish law, they're putting the Ten Commandments, they're putting the Torah above grace. And in so doing, what they were doing was they were putting Moses above Jesus. And they were making the party about someone else. And uh, the party is supposed to be celebrating the son. And the only way into the party is through the sun because the only way the party is happening is because of the sun. So why? Why is Jesus the only way? You know, not only is he our mediator, but he died as a ransom for all people. And so imagine you, you, you know, you've thrown this huge party that you've spent all this money and, and put in all this effort. And then you find out that the people that you wanted weren't even invited. That, you know, the people that you asked to hand out the invitations for, you weren't doing it. And so you get to the event. And you spent all this time and all this energy and, and put all this effort into it just to find out that the people you wanted there most didn't even hear about it. See, by Paul mentioning Christ's death here, he's mentioning the price of the party. Think of how costly it was for Christ. Not only is, you know, the omniscient, omnipresent, omnibenevolent, you know, the all-seeing, all-knowing God of the universe, you know, coming down to be a man, but he came down to be a carpenter. He came down to serve people like me and you. And not only that, he died a sinner's death on a cross, even though he was innocent. You know, he died so the whole world would be saved. And Christ's death was a huge price paid for our freedom, yet there were people at Timothy's church who were excluding people from serving him. They were still excluding people from their prayers, and they weren't inviting people to the party. And they were spitting on the death of Christ. They were treating it with shame. They were making it seem like the price he paid wasn't enough. 
So is the death of Christ something that you see for everyone or just for yourself? No, I don't think there's anything wrong with understanding that Jesus died for you. I mean, that's something um, I think just very profound, a very profound moment in your life whenever you realize, man, Christ died for me. But do you realize he died for your neighbor too? Not just the person sitting next to you and, and, and the people you know, but, you know, the people, you know, who live down the street from you, the, the, the neighbor you don't get along with, the neighbor whose dog, you know, goes into your yard and does his business, you know. Christ died for him too. Christ died for your coworkers, and he died for your, for your boss. He, he died for the person you hate the most, and he died for the bully, um, you know, that, that beats up your kid at school. You know, Christ died for the whole world. We're just in charge of handing out the invitations. And that's kind of what Paul's saying in his third point. In verse 7, Paul says, For this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. The Father charged him with making sure everyone got an invitation, and he's going to make sure his work is not done in vain. And that's the whole point Paul is writing Timothy the letter, just to make sure that he is not running the race in vain. So imagine that you and all these teachers at this school are, are charged with making sure everyone gets these invitations. And, and, you know, you're running around making sure all of your kids are doing it and making sure they're taking them home and putting them in their backpacks. And then you find out that there are other teachers who aren't doing it that aren't handing them out. And, and then you find out not only are they not handing them out, but they're actually leveraging this gift to get good behavior, that they're withholding this invitation to this awesome event. Like, what if I was withholding Cedar Point tickets from you, like, unless you gave me, like, a hug, like, every day? Because I like hugs. But, like, what would you do? Like, you would go to them. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you tell them that they were being wrong? Wouldn't you tell these teachers that what they were doing wasn't right and that it wasn't, you know, um, that it wasn't, you know, the Father's wishes? So here, Paul is reminding the church that God called him to the task of reaching a whole world. See, God has commissioned Paul to preach the good news. And Christ died for these people, and Paul was called to these people, so why won't the people even pray for them? To Paul, it just doesn't make sense. Paul is saying that to exclude anyone from hearing the message of Jesus was to contradict Paul's whole purpose in the church. The church had to have a heart for the lost. The church had to have a heart for the world. There just wasn't any other option if they wanted to live with their purpose. So I want to tell you a story. Um, I was at a church once, and um, the pastor asked all the people to, you know, stand up and pray together. And um, I noticed as, you know, all these families got up, and they all, you know, started to make their way to pray together and um, and get with people they knew. And then and then I noticed out that there were a couple people that, that I hadn't recognized before um, and that they were just kind of standing there alone and they were looking around and they were waiting for someone to come up and they were waiting for someone to pray with them. And um, as the people started praying, uh, you know, with each other, um, you know, they, they kind of looked at each other and they, and they shrugged and then they walked out the door and, and the church was so busy, the, the church was so preoccupied praying that they didn't even notice that they left these people out and they didn't even notice that they walked out the building. That happened at our church last week. And, and I just remember, like, how broken I felt. And I remember being up here on stage, and I just felt so out of control because I was trying to, like, look for anyone to make eye contact with just so they could go and, and reach these people. And, and I just remember being broken as, as I'm up here and as I'm seeing them walk out the door. 
and, and it, it just hit me really hard. And I remember being out in my car and just sitting there for a few minutes just before I left for lunch, just wondering, like, why the weight of it was so heavy on me. And after a few minutes, I, I actually, after a few days, it, it took me to realize that it's because I would have done the same thing. You know, if I, if I was out in the, in, in the audience and, and uh, you know, the pastor asked everyone to get together to pray like Brian did last week, you know, I would have I would have went to the people closest to me. I would have went, you know, to the people I knew. I, I, w- I probably would have went, you know, to Pastor Pete or something. And, uh, you know, I think, I think what broke my heart the most was that, you know, if I, if I wasn't preparing for this message about having a heart for the lost and about praying for all people, I think, I mean, if I was being honest with you, I don't think I would have noticed them at all. You know, we can have amazing worship and prayer services like, um, our night of worship that we had uh, last month. And we can have amazing moments at the altar and amazing times where we pray together. But if we don't have a heart for the lost, our heart isn't beating in sync with God. And the Father wants everyone at the party. God wants everyone saved. And it is our job just to get people an invitation. And we have an amazing opportunity. We are part of the greatest mission on earth. We can take part in the will of God. We can be the hands and feet of Jesus to a world in need. You know, the fields are ripe for harvest. What are we going to do to get people to the party? You know, we do great outreaches here at church. We do um, a backpack drive every year, and we do a hygiene drive every year. And, And I love what we do with our Royal Gateway Welcome. Last week, that was amazing, just honoring our missionaries, and I love the look on their face. Their look goes from, from shock to amazement, and then there's a moment where it breaks their heart because they realize how much we love them, and that's amazing. And, you know, I can't wait for our, for our missions convention in a couple weeks, and I'm upset that I'm missing our first, our first week for our, local, um, for our local missionaries. You know, I, it just thinks like, hey, like, you know, for every new person that comes in, we're giving, you know, to Muskegon Rescue Mission, and then, you know, we have an opportunity to hear from ministries like Muskegon Rescue Mission, and I get to miss it out. But, you know, what are we going to do individually? You know, we can do all these things for the church, and we can kind of write it off as, you know, oh, I have a heart for the lost, you know, I, I attended this thing, I did this thing, and, and but do we really have a heart for the lost individually? You know, we can do all this stuff and write it off, but if we don't have a heart for the lost, we don't have a heart after God. So maybe, you know, that just means that you carve out each, uh, some time each day and you, and you pray for your coworkers. Maybe it's that you carve out some time each day and, and pray for some people you don't like. You know, maybe that means when someone cuts you off, you know, you pray for them um, <laughs> or something crazy like that. And, and, or maybe it's something crazy, you know, like you join an interest group. You go on Craigslist and you find people you know, that like mountain biking and you go mountain biking with them or, or that you join a gym just to do one of their fun activities that they do. Or maybe it's just, you know, maybe you get more involved in the PTA or, or you become a volunteer firefighter. But for us to reach the world, we need to be in the world. So let's go and start giving invitations. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we just thank you. You are our mediator. You are our king. We just want to serve you as Lord over all. Amen. We just thank you. And we just pray that our heart beats after yours, that when your heart breaks, that our heart breaks, that 
when you wrote that the shepherd would leave the 99 sheep to find the one lost one, that that would be our hearts as well, that we would leave the prophet of the 99 to seek out the one lost, that that doesn't make sense in our minds. But I just pray that we would have a heart for individuals, that we would be loving, and that our love would produce action. Just challenge us. Give us opportunities throughout the week that if we see coworkers or, or someone beaten down, that we can show them your love, that we can give them an invitation to the greatest party of the century, the greatest party to ever hit planet Earth. That one day we'll be in heaven with you, and it'll be amazing, and there will be no more tears or weeping or pain. We just pray that we would have a heart heart after yours and we just give you all the glory and honor and praise in your name and maybe you know maybe you know as i was telling this story of this person in our and uh these people in our church last week that you know something in your heart echoed and you said you know maybe maybe that was me that just looked past them and and if um if you were one of those people and and you know if you examined your heart and, and you would say you know if um pastor bobby I, my my eyes just weren't open you know, to what, what God was trying to show me. If, if you need God to open up your heart um, to be more aware of, you know, where you need to show his love, you know, just raise your hand at this time. Lord Jesus, again, we just thank you, and we just pray that you would just challenge us, challenge us to love others like you have loved us, and that we might be your hands and feet. And we just give you all the glory, and we give you all the honor, and we give you all the praise, because no one else deserves it. In your name we pray. Amen.